You're listening to The Report Card. The Report Card is a podcast, is a commentary show about contemporary American politics and international affairs with hosts, myself, Grant Stern, and Scott Dworkin, where we grade what we're seeing in the news each week and take your questions, too. You're listening to The Report Card. So, Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Even though you're not feeling so great, it's okay, everybody. He doesn't have the Rona. That's we correct. tested him extensively, but no, it's just for, a, for making it. Sinus infection, so we're good. Um, just a little bit sinuses, and uh, uh, we've made sure of that. And and uh, yeah, it's a. It, I mean, it obviously, it's a scary time. Even if you get like sniffles nowadays, and and we forget that there's other viruses, there's other diseases that happen, and and we haven't been around people for a while. So if you're around people and you get just germs, a basic cold, it, you're gonna get. You know, you have to test yourself. You have to protect yourself. You have to protect your family and friends, um, and you have to be as knowledgeable as possible. So. You know, I, I obviously test extensively with that, but I, I'm very thankful for you and uh, uh, all my other family members that because uh, Grant is family to me, uh, all the other people that I know that are so supportive. Um, and obviously I'm a little stuffed up, but I'm I'm feeling like a four point eight out of five. So we're we're really going good. Um, and uh, so I'm I'm ready to go full speed today with a little bit of a, a nasally talk so uh yeah again thanks for thank you for, thanks for your support grant so we've got a lot to discuss and right now we're definitely going to dive into january 6th this is finally i mean i thought it would have been our first pod uh i, I you know i thought that we would have seen a lot more by now but the subpoenas that were just issued to five members of the House Republican Caucus, including its head, Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader. I think it's uh, enormous news, and there's almost like no amount of news coverage that could do it justice, and so there isn't. I, I don't think that there's like a, a ton of coverage on this. Don't you agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is why it's a tsunami in D.C., and uh, I was in D.C. for over 15 years, and I can just tell you, you subpoena uh, the leader of the House – and uh, that is a big deal. They, that, that means they have something. They have tangible evidence that is uh, undoubted. And I would guess that it's part of this batch of recordings that they have, uh, video and audio, uh, coupled with the testimony. Um, just as a backstory, there were five Republicans that were issued subpoenas yesterday by the January 6th committee, including Kevin McCarthy. And then four of our other Favorite uh, reps, which would be Jim Jordan, Mo Brooks, Andy Biggs, and Scott Perry. Uh, they've been largely silent uh, about it for the most part. <clears throat> but um, it's it's been very interesting to see. Um, you know, everybody's been subpoenaed for the most part. They haven't done like Bobert and Green, and maybe they didn't have uh, the same kind of roles. But these guys, these guys know know things. And these guys have lied publicly about things. So I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. Um, and just keep in mind, Grant, in June, uh, they start public hearings, and those are going to be brutal. Um, but, but this is like – in politics, you don't, you don't do this unless it's like – you know, they're doing it to leader of the party. No, this is a nuclear option. It's a nuclear yeah. option. I just don't yeah. think it's getting the kind of attention it deserves. Like I'm yeah. grading the, the press for covering this event so far. As an F, complete fail, complete wow. fail. Wow, you just gave him an F. You didn't do any, no, like, you know, uh, fake news, like F or fake news. I don't know. No, you give him a straight no, up I F, just like you give him. A... I just think that 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 they've they've normalized, they've normalized what's going on subpoenas. to the extent. It's not. That... Yeah, it's not normal to get a subpoena if you're a member of Congress, especially from members of your own party. Well, hold on a like, second. Kinsinger and it's... Cheney gave him a subpoena. They signed off on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's... Well, I think that there's an element to this. And again, this is because of the um, fatigue, you know, investigation fatigue, right? I mean, it really right. is. It's like investigation fatigue. And our national news media is very much a, me a different kind of Me Too story in the, the sense that they swim in packs. They're all looking for the same kind of story, you know? Like people want to kind of follow a beaten path. And these stories can be. You know, they, they're they like tunnel vision for the entire media. There's so many stories out there. I feel like 
are being sucked in. And, and this one is the one that everybody's kind of waiting on. But now here we get probably the very biggest news. And it's like, well, we've just been doing this too long. People are burnt out. Uh, they don't want to hear about this. These stories aren't getting the clicks anymore. Right. And uh, I'll tell you what. Um, this is it. I mean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't the House have a lot more power to enforce these subpoenas against its own members than it does even the rest of the general public because they are members of the body? Absolutely. And they can, uh, you know, obviously if they find them a criminal referral, especially if they ignore their subpoenas, um, they can then move to remove, I mean, that'd be a viable reason to remove them from their committees. Um, As you know, that's one of the people who helped run the campaign. Uh, we we started a campaign, and we knew because two thirds of the house isn't going to vote um, a member out. We but we what we found on Marjorie Taylor Greene was so repulsive and disgusting that you know we we were like she needs to be expelled. So we ran that expulsion campaign, which then led to Rep. Jimmy Gomez introducing a bill to remove her from her committees, and obviously we had full support on that and. Uh, and that actually happened. And I believe Gosar was removed from his committees as well. I mean, th- that's not something that happens every day. You don't just you, – that's your job. Your job is to sit on these committees and represent the people that you came to represent, not just the casework in your offices, which, which is obviously important, but you can't actually represent the people. You're not, you're not it's actually standing for anything. You're not sitting on any of these committees. You're not helping develop laws, write laws, uh, pass laws. So I don't know what they're they're doing there, and they're definitely not doing the casework, which is vitally important. Um, but yeah, Congress has a lot of power, a lot of power, um, but they just need the reason. So it's kind of like if Kevin McCarthy wants to give them a reason to try and go toe-to-toe, I can tell you uh, 100 out of 100 times that Speaker Pelosi wins that battle. So I, I don't know what, what McCarthy's thinking, but he's in deep at this point. Yeah, I mean – from what I understand, and this is something that the House has avoided for all these years, right? Um, and this is why they're they're kind of like why this is why I'm just bringing it up because uh, it's like they could have done it many many a time. The use of the power of inherent contempt. Okay, right. I mean the inherent contempt powers are not in question. They aren't. They are a real enforceable power of the House of Representatives. They can send someone and get you and compel you to testify by literally bringing you to the committee and compelling your presence. And then you could try to assert your privileges there. Right? Right. Right. I mean, that is what could be happening here. I mean, this is something that Republicans have attempted um, but the the House of Representatives, the full House, not just the state House, has an unlimited jurisdiction. This has happened in state houses before where Democrats have walked out and said, we're not going to participate. We're going to break the quorum and they have to leave the state. Right. They have to leave the state and the, the sergeant at arms can go retrieve them. Right. The sergeant of the body can go retrieve them. So I, I think that this could be the prelude to something far dr- more dramatic and if I had to, you know, say, gee, I wish it would be, yeah, I'd love to see that. I think that this is the kind of extreme time, I'm sorry to say. Uh, we're, we're talking about investigating an insurrection and the sacking of the Capitol, a murder mob coming for the Speaker of the House. If there was ever a time to invoke the powers of inherent contempt, this is it. This what? is the conspiracy that our founders foresaw over 248 years ago and they said geez well actually no less than that 220 years ago because you know (laughs) constitution came along later you haven't um, seen hamilton come on man i saw that movie no i'm i gave i had had tickets when i was working at the with you know the old obama folks and things like that i would have tickets all the time and i was like oh great i get to see him and then somebody would be like, hey, like, I heard you might have taken <laughs> Hamilton. And I never got to see it live. But I did recently, for the first time, get to see it 
Um, I was very excited. It, it's it's uh, better than I could have imagined. Um, that's for sure. Um, oh they, yeah, you, Alex is amazing. Lo- uh, yeah, you know, the guy that, that the guy that doesn't get enough credit because Lin Manuel Miranda gets a lot of credit, but Alex Lacamori uh, is the the orchestrator for Hamilton, Dear Evan Hansen, and uh, In the Heights, which he also did with Lin Manuel, right? And uh, Alex is just the nicest guy. Uh, We sit on the same alumni board at the New World School of the Arts Alumni Foundation. And so I've gotten to know him a little bit over the years. Uh, Like right – actually, he joined right before Hamilton hit big. But he already Mm -hmm. had a Tony for best uh, book, right, for In the Heights. So he was already like, you know, widely recognized by the time Hamilton came out. But Hamilton was like next, next level. Yeah, yeah. I was impressed by that. And uh... So we've got a couple of callers. Uh, waiting to call in. I want to take some of them because it's time to start grading the news, taking your questions, comments. Let's go ahead, Evelyn from Switzerland. Thank you for joining us on the stage today. And by the way, keep those quest- those comments coming in by text. I hope we've been answering your question, uh, Don Lee. Uh, Evelyn, go yeah. ahead and unmute yourself. Hey, thanks for joining us today. April, you're next. Um, sure. Yeah, um, so my question is, and I'm not as familiar with subpoenas as you all are probably, but what happens if a regular citizen just ignores a subpoena? Is that what you were sort of talking about before? And then I I see that April's also calling in, so I won't take away that question she put in in the chat room because I'm like, also, why is nobody doing anything? Okay, so... For starters, there are people doing things, but they're keeping it under wraps. And I mean, Scott can explain this dynamic really well, but there's this DC investigation dynamic that's hazardous, that's very political, where the results of the investigation all leak out, all of it, all of it, like the bombshell, everything. And in this case, you just have certain, uh, the leaks have all come when investigatory documents are filed, court filings are sent, you know, people are fighting against disclosure. And so the house is being forced to disclose some to get more, right? That's where all of these disclosures, they're coming in court. They're coming in court filings and criminal cases. That's the source of all the information we have. And when you have this like black hole effect around the investigations, I mean, that's normal and to be expected, but this is like airtight for a DC investigation. Wouldn't you agree, Scott? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, uh... I'd say most, most, most civilians, uh, uh, you know, like 98%, I'm making up a number there, but like most civilians, they bend over immediately. Like they'll, they'll yeah. come in the date that they're requested to. You don't mess with that because um, you don't want the PR. You don't want the newspaper articles. Uh, some people thrive off of that, like Steve Bannon, you know, like uh, people like that. But that's very few amount of people of the – I believe that it's past hundreds, like seven or eight hundred people who have uh, testified or given testimony via video and in person. Um, you know, they all came when they were, were requested, like, we, we need you on this day at this time. And, and they were like, OK. And this is people who worked for Trump. This is people who worked for Pence. Um, so I, I I don't know. This whole game was started by Trump because he doesn't mind the bad press. And I think that sets the precedent of the. I don't have any shame kind of crowd and they're trying to follow in his footsteps, but everybody regrets that because they can't hang on for the next few decades like uh, Trump does where he just sits there and, you know, he rolls around in the mud and he loves it. He loves rolling around in the mud and just distracts with another, another, you know, kind of BS story. Um, But, you know, in regards to whether or not the members would be, uh, you know, forced to testify there. There's one problem that they're analyzing right now, which is the lack of precedent. Um, and, and so there's a few different situations that have arisen in, in the past. And I know that there was a mention of Hillary testifying for 11 hours. Um, you know, that, that was different. So like a member of Congress testifying in front of their own body as in the house uh, with, <laughs> that's just so, um, in, in regards to subpoena driven, you know, not willingly doing so because they do they do uh, testify in front of these committees all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, usually they push themselves to be in front of it because they want to push whatever agenda they have. Um, but it's just it's just not it's not heard of for this to be uh, usual because it's a 
you know, it's really criminal uh, what they're looking into, and it can lead to these people ending up in prison. Um, well, hold on a second, and let's just say this too: um, with McCarthy, it looks like he was trying to stop things, and that's why they want to talk to him because they want to get direct evidence of Donald Trump's statements from him, right? Whereas with Biggs and and and, and those other folks. They were involved with, you know, raising the insurrection mob and, and all the other activities around that. And Scott Perry in particular was involved in a plot with the Department of Justice to move people around to the Department of Justice to get the DOJ to start declaring that the election had problems, even though the attorney general at the time, Bill Barr, had said there was nothing found. Yeah. So they, I, I think they, that could, they like, could arrest them, right? They could arrest them, but they won't, right? The sergeant yeah, arms. And, could yeah, the sergeant and arms a member, can literally but it go, hasn't been used over 100. Yeah, but that's the thing. There is a precedent. Um, if they vote on uh, enforcing the subpoena by sending the sergeant at arms, so I mean, these guys really have to wonder at this point because Speaker Pelosi has played her cards very close to the vest for almost yeah. four years now when it comes to handling a multitude of sensitive investigations, right? Right. And well, so, people forget about the coronavirus corruption. They, they have an entire body investigating coronavirus corruption. And yes, how she Trump, told us about you know, that last uh, a couple of Octobers ago. That's right. That's <laughs> right. She was on the podcast. Go listen to workingreport.com. Um, so, hey, uh, hold on a second. So I wanted to another... just answer one part about Evelyn's question. If you oh, want to sure. know what happens when a regular citizen that's not a member of Congress gets subpoenaed by Congress and then refuses, just watch what's happening with Steve Bannon. His lawyers are getting their asses handed to them in advance of his criminal trial for contempt of, of Congress. He's facing two counts of contempt of Congress. Each one carries a one-year sentence. Uh, there's no sentencing guideline, which means he could se get sentenced to two years. And uh, he here's a, a – you know he's, his lawyers have been trying to admit all sorts of statements, and they're losing. right? They're losing these preliminary hearings about admitting certain things that would be used in his defense like – he got advice of counsel to refuse the subpoena, and that's a, a defense that a lot of people use in these kind of legal proceedings. So uh, that's a good analog for just what happens when a regular person gets subpoenaed. April, go ahead, unmute. Welcome back. It's good to, to hear from you, or will be good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks, April. <laughs> Here's my frustration with Congress and these contempt, inherent contempt. Why? Won't they use their power? I mean, with the Mueller investigation, with the impeachment investigation, I'm just curious why you guys think that Congress has given up their power of inherent contempt and they are too scared to use the power invested in them. And why do they go to a separate branch of government to get permission to use their power? So that's a great question, and I want to take it uh, because, you know, it's a great power, and with great power comes great responsibility, and they don't want to start overusing this power and turn it into a norm, right? They were like, we want to save this for an emergency, a true emergency, and I think that we, we're at that point. That's why we're discussing it, um, which is ironic because people discussed it for the last four years, and now they're not talking about it at all. That's, that's one issue. Uh, the second issue is that due process, it's just better to give people more due process because it depersonalizes, depoliticizes the decision. You know, they sent him, uh, uh, Bannon, off to the DOJ. He's going to be prosecuted for contempt. They're looking to make an example. He, here's a very strong one. Um, and then on some of these officials, it's just not as clear cut whether they're allowed to do what they're doing. And they don't want to have a situation where they seize an official the official then petitions for habeas corpus and wins because it'll permanently weaken the power and it'll create a court fight that will then last beyond and it'll create a rallying cry for the other side. So you don't do the nuclear option unless you're really, 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 really sure. And these kind of subpoenas to lawmakers are something of a nuclear option, um, you know, process wise. But they could lead to this, you know, they could lead to a, a contempt of Congress trial in Congress for the first time in many, 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 many decades. That's well, why I, we're saying it, because it's just uh, it's different with members. 
I hope so, because it's really frustrating that it seems that Congress always wants to go to a separate branch of government to use their own invested power. Well, that's because most of their power is is legislation. Most of it. The investigation powers are not. It's just it's different. You know, like legislation is their power. Investigation is an adjunct to legislation, but they have other inherent powers to protect the body. And this is one of those. This is like, and that's why that's why Grant and I are probably not weren't arrested in 2017 when we were investigating Trump and his Russian ties because they couldn't use their powers to arrest us uh, for no crimes whatsoever, like for offending right. Congress or something, you know, making up some kind of frivolous threat because they did enough of that. Um, you know, jawing about us constantly, and they even let the Russian government publicly attack me. Remember that one? That was so yes, weird. I, with the, the, anyways, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I digress. April, sorry. Digression. Digression noted. <laughs> and I caught myself. There we go. But hey, uh, so you know, we're still taking more questions, and we want more call-ins. And definitely, if you want to comment in the chat, we're going to check it out. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, April, what do you think about this? What do you think about our answer? What grade do you give Congress for waiting this long? The, April will answer in the chat because I think she had left the college space. But that's, Did April that's all right. Bump out. It's okay. Oh, we're all um, by so, ourselves. So with the notes, uh, just in the live chat, which has happened today, um, one of the things was was mentioned was April had said that Hillary testified for eleven hours, and I remember that and. Like, I just wish, I don't know how Democrats need to do it, but I wish they could, you know, gin up that kind of excitement, you know, how that hysteria, but this is real stuff that people should be upset about. Um, so I, I wish that they would be able to do that. One of the things I, I wanted to mention is um, is that Evelyn said uh, that she didn't even think that the headlines made it in Switzerland. And, you know, I'm not surprised with that. Because it just, it just, it, it makes sense to. There's so many subpoenas flying out the door, but like, this is this is gigantic news. Just going back to the subpoenas of the members of Congress, the leader of the House getting subpoenaed. I mean, imagine the field day Fox News would have if Kevin McCarthy, if it was switched around, Kevin McCarthy subpoenas speak, not Speaker, but Leader Pelosi back in the day. That's unheard so, of. Like it's not. It, not it is possible. unheard of. It's it's unheard of. And I wanted to answer one quick question that that April raised in the chat, which is that, what about Mark Meadows? Right now, for starters, everybody, it looks like Mark Meadows is going to get charged with voting fraud in some state for registering in three different states at the same time. Uh, there's just no possible way that can be kosher, right? So. Uh, you know, when when prosecutors do things, they kind of try to get some charges going and see if somebody will plea and cooperate. That's kind of very normal. Right. And you might have federal co- prosecutors working with state prosecutors saying, let's get a deal from this guy and let's force him to testify about everything. Uh, it's a possibility. Mark Meadows is not a multi multimillionaire and defending uh, three uh, criminal charges in three states plus whatever the, the grand jury subpoena. Uh, I'm sorry, grand jury investigation in Georgia turns up. Um, this could be really problematic for him. Um, so it's just different for him in one important way, though. He was a member of the executive branch, and executive privileges in some regards do apply to his appearance. Um, that being said, you know, we don't know why the DOJ hasn't prosecuted the contempt of Congress charge yet. They could certainly do it, but there are a lot of questions about, you know, prosecuting contempt of Congress against an executive, a branch official, especially someone like him who is in a very high position. And uh, before we take the next caller, we've got waiting patiently here. I just wanted to read a tweet from one of my favorite people because it's directly related to all this, okay? Oh, thank you, Grant. Uh, I appreciate you reading my tweets. On... Oh, it's not. No, I don't me. read your tweets. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, this is okay. from Kurt Bardella. All right, go ahead. I said favorite oh, yeah, people, I love Scott. Favorite people. <laughs> okay, so he writes, FFS, which, I mean, if you don't know, that means for fuck's sake. The subpoenas issued to Republicans in Congress by the January 6th committee is not the same, all caps, as the GOP issuing subpoenas to Democrats as payback or revenge. One is legitimate. The other is an abuse of power. 
Presenting it any other way is journalistic malpractice. Kurt served on the Benghazi committee before he saw the light, left Breitbart and became a Democrat. Now he's an advisor to the DNC and the D-Trip. Uh, guys, let me tell you, um, you're going you're gonna to see a lot of both sidesism in the next week. Both sidesism is coming. Fight it. That's what I got to say. So we got a caller on the stage, Sam, the amazing Sam Jones. Hey, Thanks hey. For joining us. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Woo. So my question is probably a little less fun, uh, but I think it's important. I want to hear your take on Finland announcing that they intend to join NATO and what impact that could have on the war in Ukraine and ultimately um, on our relations and NATO's um, situation with Russia. Uh, well, Finland, oh, obviously, I, I think. Wait I a think, second. Uh, Give Putin a grade on, on what's happening, Scott. Uh, Go ahead. I, uh, start. Start by grading please. Putin on what just happened. Oh my God, uh, that's a T for tyrant. Um, Whoa, you know, I, I mean, okay, you know what? I, I disagree. I'm giving him an H for. <laughs> this is what he was trying to avoid, and he caused it. He did, and and you know they keep on saying. Uh, I think Finland's now at the point where they say without delay they want membership, but I, I just it's a. Well, it's Sweden such said a whatever big... Finland does, we'll we'll follow. But they said we want in, we're ready. Right. Right. And so I think this is this is uniting the world. It's backfiring. Great. And I think ha 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 is, is spot on with that, because um, I, I just don't like it's uniting the Western world in a way that we could have never imagined. I can tell you this never, never, never would happen under Trump ever. He oh, would never split in a million this. years. It would be a local war that we don't need to get involved with. And Ukrainians would be slaughtered even more like it just would be. Devastating beyond belief. He would split the countries. I I, I don't even know. Like it'd be Look, devastating. Putin's strategy is so simple. It's divide and conquer. Okay? Anytime he could divide, he looks to divide and then conquer. That's why what's happening in Moldova right now, and I know that we're like way off track from Finland and Sweden, but we're not. Uh, Mold what's happening in Moldova right now is strategically important. There's a region of Moldova, the country just to the west of Ukraine, called Transnistria. That has been a breakaway republic ever since the early 1990s. It's probably where Putin got the idea of creating new breakaway republics. Essentially, it is a Soviet enclave. <laughs> it is it's, it's just like a Soviet enclave. There are 1,500 Russian troops there. And you can see how this would fit Putin's operational strategy of seizing the south, connecting Crimea uh, to the, the mainland by taking Mariupol. And then trying to head to the west to connect with Transnistria and then blocking off the southern coast of Ukraine and making them a, a land-bound country. And so there's a lot of concern right now because there's a lot of troublemaking happening in Transnistria, a place where Putin really has free reign. He has 1,500 soldiers. Uh, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but 1,500 guys with uh, you know AR-15s, if you let them loose on a, a small place like Moldova, I mean, we're talking about... Uh, you know, 1,500 guys, could they hold half of New Jersey? Yeah, they're doing it. <laughs> right, um, and, and it, it's Moldova is very it's dangerous right now, and people are leaving. Um, and so the, yeah, and, the, and the war is already spilling over, but the violence hasn't yet. The violence right, hasn't is, spilled over yet. And this is why we had to stop Putin in Ukraine, because all of these Eastern European nations are composed of regions, and regionalism in Europe is older because it's like tribalism. It's the same thing. I mean, uh, the kingdom of Italy was only formed in the mid-19th uh, mid century in like 1861 or something, I mean, right around the time of the Civil War. It used to be you had, you know, the Milanese were one group of people and the, the Venetians. And then you had, you know, the Principality of Rome and everybody was, you know, their own little region. And that was that. And that's still the case. There's a lot of regions inside of all of these countries and they're all, you know, they have some ethnic differences and Putin's ready to exploit those. That's what he's been doing uh, in all of the former Soviet states. So anyway, back to Finland, back to Sweden. Sweden uh, has one of the most advanced armies in the world. They've been non-aligned, not neutral, but non-aligned for 200 years, right? 200 years. What Putin has accomplished in just three months took 200 years. And the last time Sweden became aligned 
was with Russia against France to stop Napoleon Bonaparte. And they did something very interesting then, which I happened to write a really long paper that my professor lost when I was a history <laughs> student 20 years ago. Lost in uh, quotes. Yep. Professor Peters, sorry, man, you messed up there, okay? You messed up. So uh, Sweden elected a French marshal as the king. Isn't that something else? They elected a king in Sweden, and it was uh, the French marshal Bernadotte. He was uh, King Carl I, and his family today, to this day, is the only Napoleonic house that is still existent in Europe, and they're also in the, the in Denmark now as well. Um, so it's it's really ironic that Sweden is now aligning with Russia from a on a historical base against Russia because uh, on a historical basis, their alignment with Russia to end Napoleon's empire in Europe two hundred years ago was the last time that they saw a threat so severe that they abandoned their neutrality and, and went all in. I mean, they were involved in the, the wars uh, on the continent for many, many decades before that, but they stopped after Napoleon. So, uh, There's shocking Putin... breaking news, shocking breaking news though, Grant. And that is Erdogan says, Turkey does not support Finland and Sweden joining NATO. Are you shocked about that news? No, I'm not that shocked. <laughs> I'm not I mean, that I, shocked. Another dictator. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's one of these things where, uh, you know, Erdogan is, uh, he's always straddling the line. Let's be real here. Like he is towing the line between, you know, he's trying to dance to Russia's tune as well because his neighbors are all aligned with Russia. You know, like Syria is aligned with Russia. Um, the, the, the Kurds have become Russia aligned over the last four years. Even Paul Manafort went to Kurdistan for a independence, non-binding independence referendum. Um, I mean, th there's so much going on in the world. It's tough to keep track of it all. It really is. And there are stories that fall through the cracks. That is one of them that the, the Kurds sold their oil pipeline network to Rosneft for a couple of billion dollars a few years ago. And Paul Manafort was involved. It was right before all of the criminal charges landed, too. Um, and then, of course, Iran, they've been aligned with Russia for, for many decades. They, they have, you know, there's a, a border space that's close by. I mean, there's just, it's complicated over there. So Erdogan um, doesn't surprise me at all. Doesn't Wait, what, do, what do you think about, okay, so the, another thing that's aligned with this that I was wondering about, and sorry, I have questions for you, uh, but the, and by the way, the, uh, more calls, please. If you want to call in, uh, now's your only, chance. Mash that little button in the bottom right corner. Yep, mash that we'll button in the bottom time, right corner. We only have time for one or two more questions, so you better get it in. Uh, yep. Rand Paul objected Thursday to a Senate vote on assistance for Ukraine, a forty billion dollars worth of assistance. He, you know, being the batshit artist that he is, my because Rand artist. Paul, right, right, because Rand Paul. So. I like I I just don't I never believe that one person can stand should be able to stand in the way, um, but now you know there might be a lapse in funding, uh, you know I, how do we hold people accountable that are just insanely supportive of Russia because there's no other way that you can frame it. He says that he doesn't have any allegiance to any foreign nation, but the U.S. Constitution. But the way one of the ways to protect the U.S. Constitution is by helping Ukraine fight Russia so that it doesn't spill over into Europe. Like it, it's going to affect us. And I, I don't think that he uh, recognizes that Rand Paul's a traitor. I just want to put that on the record as well. Okay. Well, um, I mean, look, Rand Paul uh, comes from a long line of Russophiles in the libertarian party. I mm -hmm. mean, let's be real here. Like you remember, you remember Jill, who we investigated, and she blocked us because she didn't like us. And then she took all that money for that uh, the challenge, which which I think you know was fine to to start, but it was fine to start, but you know uh, it 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 really it really did didn't go anywhere from there. Anyways, um, so we're also going to go into. Real quick now, you back? So, okay, you back? Yeah, I'm back. There so, uh, okay, Jimmy Cooper asks, "What's the wait, process?" Wait, wait, wait! This is actually big. 
Big news. Oh. Uh, Elon Musk says his deal to buy Twitter is now on hold. Okay, ho- let me let me take this one question out of the room, and then we'll talk about Elon. Oh wait, Jimmy's on. Jimmy's on. Yeah, yeah go. J- Jimmy's on. So, no, 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 so no. Jimmy Let's Cooper asks, Jimmy. Uh, "What's the process for expelling Turkey from NATO?" And I'm going to take your your call, Jimmy. Thanks for for calling in today. Um, I saw that in the group. Do, do you have anything more to add? Go ahead, because uh, you're on us. Uh, you're on yeah. live with us. Yeah, actually, I, I was just commenting on what you said there. But uh, two things I'd like you to comment about. Uh, back to internal politics. How about the Senate race in Pennsylvania? And, and lastly, and most importantly to me, I would love to hear what you think is going to happen between uh, Trump and Pence putting gloves on and fighting down there in Georgia now. Oh, that's great. Those are two great questions, Jimmy. Thank you so much for calling in, man. Those are awesome questions. Can I start, Scott? Yeah, go ahead, brother. Yeah, yeah, you take okay. you take the lead so, on this. So in Pennsylvania, you, in Pennsylvania, I'm going to give the Republicans a grade here for their wonderful Senate primary uh, between uh, Dr. Oz the Quack, the hedge fund guy, and <clears throat> Catherine Burnett, uh, who is surging in the polls after telling her personal story. Uh, she's literally surging in the polls. And I'm going to grade them a W for I am not a witch because they're going to give the nomination to this woman who nobody knows. It looks like it's going to happen. She's just like a momentum pick, right, Catherine Burnett? Um, I think she's the only one actually from Pennsylvania too, right, Scott? Yeah, she's uh, – you know, even Kathy Burnett's the, – the Burnett's the um, – I think the title in the New York Times of the article – five hours ago was Kathy Barnett's star rises in Pennsylvania Senate race and getting that in the New York times. That means, I mean, that that's a really big deal. And she's surging in the polls. I would assume that by late next week, she'll be in the lead. Uh, well by next week, the, isn't the, the primary Tuesday next Tuesday. Oh, I don't know. I'm not paying yeah, attention. I'm pretty to the sure it is. I'm pretty sure the primary is next Tuesday. Oh, uh, I'm Monday, telling you, man. Monday. Then I mean, next Monday? Monday. Wait, I thought <laughs> uh, it was no, Tuesday. by Monday. By Monday of next week is what I mean. The when polls yeah. <laughs> come out over the weekend. My bad. Uh, well, no, no, no. I'm talking about like the actual primary uh, is coming up really soon. I know because I've been trying to get some of these folks on our show, and I'm, they're like, after the primary. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Primary. It's on. It's on Tuesday. I mean, the, yes, the, the weekend the primary is on Tuesday. Yeah, I yeah. Forgot. It's like my bad. Look, when I when I Google the presidential primary 2022, you know what comes up? Election updates. Trump questions Barnett's electability. <laughs> It's like an, an endorsement from reality of like sane people. But you know that's the thing when you've built a political party solely on the idea of being iconoclastic. This is bound to happen, and this has happened before. Remember Luther Strange? Mm-hmm. And, oh yeah. And Roy, Judge Roy Moore. I mean, we would without Luther <laughs> Strange, we wouldn't have gotten Roy Moore. Luther Strange was the choice of he was endorsed by Donald Trump. He was endorsed by Mitch McConnell. But the Republican voters said, no, no, no. We want somebody iconoclastic. Oh, you're endorsing him, huh? Well, he's slimy. He's too elite. We're going to go with Roy Moore. He likes slavery and hitting on 14-year-old girls. And and I feel like this is just another one of those uh, cases. I I really, really do. He had time to send out threat letters for our billboard, too, which is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's daughter is what it said on there. Uh, and, and it just, you know, <laughs> it, it he had a picture of Roy Moore on it. It didn't re- really say much more, and he he made it a big deal. He made it so that it was national news because he, you know, pointed it out. What is it called? Streisand effect? No, no, that's when you put it away. But he put a spotlight on it, and it, it was thank you for that advertising, Mr. Moore. Um, and then yeah. the, the second part of the question, because we have to wrap up soon. Uh, what the the second part of Jimmy's question? Did we skip over it? We didn't skip well, it, but you, oh no, it was go Pennsylvania ahead, Jimmy. Senate. No, was it was. This... I just remind you, it was just about uh, Trump and Pence uh, getting in. Oh, the yeah. oh the in Georgia. In Georgia, okay, Scott, right. go ahead. I think that. Well, I think Trump is becoming a cancer. So uh, I, them going against each other is just. It's hilarious and brutal. I, I, I'm here for it. I'd love to see it. Um, the funny thing is, though, I, I think Pence 
ultimately pulls that out. Uh, I don't know how he's not under everything Trump did because he's the legislative guy. He's the guy who helped pass all the bills. He's the guy who helped craft any anything under Trump. Um, he was the real boss. So I, I don't know exactly how, how they uh, can have this fake war go on. Um, but at, at the same time, Trump said stuff about Kemp that is he can't. He can, it's unforgivable. So I, I, it's it's just a, it's a war that's just going to end badly for them and distract from the race. And I think it ends up with uh, Democrat Stacey Abrams winning. Uh, I think that there's a strong chance of that because this kind of internecine warfare in a primary where you have like former president, former vice president going directly at it head to head. Um, that's that's pretty unusual stuff. I mean, not in our lifetimes for sure. But you got to figure that a certain percentage of voters for either guy is just not going to vote for the other guy. Like that that's the net effect of this kind of like really highly destructive primary. I mean, right. It's, it's going to happen. I mean, when you have a, a like like the you know, this is what's actually fueling the Pennsylvania race as well, which is that you have Oz and uh, what's the other guy's name? I forget his name, but the, the hedge fund guy They're They're going at it. They've spent millions of dollars in negative ads against each other. And so now they're kind of both soiled, and then a third person who's not is going to win. That happened in Florida's Democratic primary uh, four years ago where you had Philip Levine and you had Jeff Green, and then they started firing uh, multimillion-dollar ad salvos at each other, and they went negative. And a third person – actually, not the third, but the you know there's there were a lot of people in that race. But another person won the race. Neither of them did exceedingly well because – too much negativity, it draw it, it just it turns primary voters off. It's a very different kind of uh, game. And then, did that hurt people in the the general? Well, I mean, neither of those guys were on the ballot, so it did not hurt the Dems in the general election that we know of. Uh, Ron DeSantis won by thirty thousand votes in a state with nine million votes. This is a very close race. Uh, Pennsylvania is going to be a lot different, and Georgia is going to be much different than that, and much much different. Georgia's race has an entirely other dynamic. And again, it's going to test the iconoclast versus the establishment. But Trump is now becoming the establishment in the Republican Party. So the other guys are the iconoclasts. So I'm putting my money on Kemp just on that factor. Okay, I'm just we're going to find out over the next two weeks. But when we come back to the next podcast, I'm going to bet you money that we're talking about, uh, you know, a Republican in Pennsylvania that uh, wants to put a statue of President Obama into uh, in, into the Capitol. That's going to be exciting. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm guessing. I mean, she said a lot of crazy things um, from what I'm hearing. And the Republicans are trying to air it all out in the very last second. And we've all seen how last second messaging doesn't really uh, work that incredibly well, especially when you have this rising narrative that she's got. Uh, so that's – that's going to be something else. So we've got a couple minutes left. We're going into overtime, actually, because I know you're not feeling too good, Scott. Thanks for sticking with us here. But let's talk about our favorite thing to do and what's going on with the rich South African guy. So Twitter. Twitter. Now Elon Musk says, oh, we have to see if there's not too many bots. What do you think, Scott? Is this BS? Uh, is this just a negotiating point? What What is this? Yeah, because he's going to use it as a negotiating point because it's going to be higher than the estimates, like no matter what. And so when I, I'm thankful for an anal analysis of the bots and uh, what can be taken down in bot networks because there's a lot of new ones that have developed all of a sudden since Elon put in his bid. So uh, I, I think that you take this and you have the analysis of like, oh, okay, we have this many bots in the system. And he's like, well, that means that you don't have the same user base. He then lowers his bid of the price of the stock. The stock then plummets on top of that, right? Um, probably and now he's trying plummet. to renegotiate. Yeah, and that's what that's what will happen. So he's it's a great negotiating tactic because he's in the driver's seat. Um, it's it's not, you know, it, he he's showing his true colors. So in this, I, I think that's what's really going on here. But the problem is if there if there's a high percentage of bot accounts. You know, then he's on to something, and uh, I would be appreciative of, of that one fact. So I, I don't think in the end that he's going to actually acquire Twitter. I, I think that Look, this is all just a scheme because he's mad at a 19-year-old yeah, who's tracking his flights. Yeah, this Yeah, this, this yeah. – it could be a oh, negotiating this, oh, that move, would be, be a great one. He wouldn't have to pay the billion dollars. He's like, look, you guys are frauds. Take me to court. 
Right. That that could be it too. And I mean, listen, uh, the fact that there are fake accounts on Twitter that are not helping the discourse, it's it's such an uh, – I mean, look, you know, I, I don't want to toot my own horn. Yeah, I do actually. Um, I wrote about this when Twitter went and did their IPO, okay, that, uh, you know, after IPO, can Twitter uh, control the market for fake followers? And fake followers are just a form of bot account, okay? They're just a form of bots. But at the time, in 2013, people buying fake followers was a big problem. And uh, the, I'll give you an example, okay? So there were, there were these guys who did a major event called Social Media Week. I ran Social Media Day with a group of friends, and it was a one-day thing. We'd do these really big events. We, the biggest one we did had like 900 people at the Arts Center. And they did Social Media Week, and they would uh, – the, the first time they did it, actually, they did it at the Arts Center. They gave us the idea to do Social Media Day there, honestly. Um, but it was, you know, it was a much smaller event. It was just maybe like a 50-person room that they just had open through the week for different speakers. And it was pretty cool. We liked it, right? And so we like quadrupled the size of that and did a one-day thing. The second one they did was at the Mondrian Hotel. And they started getting snitty and people started sharing what they knew, of course, to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And this guy uh, – the, the the guy that was running it was actually going on MSNBC at the time as a political consultant because he had so many fake followers they believed he was important. And at the time, I think he had 25,000 followers and only maybe 2,000 were real, right? And so I wrote that for Huffington in 2013. They put it on the front page of the business section when Twitter went IPO. This is not new news that Twitter has a bot problem. What do you think, Scott? What do you think is going to happen? Outcomes. I mean, as one of the most trolled people in the world over the past six years, I can honestly say that bots are um, a, a digital terrorism. Like it comes to mind. Cause keep in mind there were members of the military um, overseas that were sitting there in hangars on computers manually harassing people to not vote or to not vote Democrat or to try and harass them or threaten them if they did or they spouted support. And that would stop people from using the platform. That stopped people from engaging. And guess what? It stopped people from even going outside. A lot of people got scared via those tactics. So bot accounts are not just – it's not, not just robots. These are, these are fronts as in a person acting like they're a Democrat. Well, they're sock they're puppets. Like, That's sock puppets what yeah. you're talking about. Well, that's that's included in this in this query. So look at yeah, how broad the you know, Elon Musk query is, though. It's not well, just robot well, like accounts. accounts. It's not just right? fake like, fake accounts thing, bot, overall. Yeah, but bot accounts fake are accounts used overall. to artificially boost something. So it's like, you know, when I send out a post, I might send it to a couple of other accounts um, that that we're like involved with, but I'm not like. Uh, triggering a thousand accounts to retweet it all at the same time to give the signal to Twitter's algorithm that this is prime content and to try and get tens of thousands of, of uh, you know, likes. Um, you know, I, I'm just sending it out to a couple of accounts. That's not bot. Oh, use, yeah. Right? We've seen. Yeah, but we've seen we've caught bot so many botnets, but like, that's how the, the, but the also yeah. using using it where they mask it as bots. So like it'll be manually operated on a slope where it teeters, and that's what we saw with Trump. He'd have tweets that peak plateau after an hour, an hour and a half, and then it would slope down so low. So if you ever see tweets that go up like 20,000 likes in the first hour, and then it's like 22,000 after the next hour, it goes to 24,000, goes to lower and lower, that's, that's a clear bot network that's helping him out. You're right, even with the spike, the quick spike, it's just... Uh, Anyways, this is going to get wonky because we're going to start debating about sock puppet versus bot accounts and how. Well, okay, just, just for our listeners here, sock puppets are accounts that are fake but run by real people. But they might run like 20 or 30 of these accounts and be flipping through them to do different things. That's, uh, but uh, those are human operated, right? Um, right? Fake accounts, but still, you know, inauthentic, right? <laughs> but a bot account is something that's sitting around waiting to do something else. And fake followers were the perfect example. You'd pay the fake follower bot uh, slaver, and then the bot person would hit a button and then all uh, and send out a script, and then all of the other accounts would use an API hook and follow somebody. Boom! Now you look like you have a big crowd. 
Now people think there's something there. And I mean, even back then, nine years ago, uh, I talked to a couple of lawyers and they were like, this is fraud if you're using it deceptively. You know, they're like, well, you could use this deceptive tactic as long as you're disclosing it. But they weren't. They were like, uh, hey, you know, give me $10,000 to market your business. They'd spend a couple hundred bucks in fake followers. Hey, look, you've been marketed. Everybody is following you now. So anyways, uh, boy, it, this is uh, there's been a lot to discuss today. A whole lot. Don't you think? Yeah, brother, you're on fire. Thank you for picking up the slack on me today with my muffly voice. But again, sinusitis, we're all good. I'm in the clear. Uh, Should be all 100% by this weekend. So, you know, this is great. Negative, negative, negative. Everybody take care of yourself. Take care of others. Do some good today if you can. Um, Thank you again for listening. And Grant, uh, thank you for picking up the slack on me today. And as always, please share it with your friends. We'd love to have a lot more listeners. Uh, We've got a huge surge in subscribers this week, and uh, it's nice to know that we're not alone on here. And, of course, you can follow the pod on uh, Spotify and on iTunes. You can uh, catch the episodes if you missed part, if you want to listen to something offline again. And to everybody who's put your questions into the group chat or called in today, uh, to Jimmy, to, to Evelyn, to, to April, to Sam. Thank you so much for participating. And, uh, you know, we're going to be back next week. We're going to let you know the, the time pretty soon. We've been experimenting with times, and I think we're going to pick a permanent time uh, pretty soon. So thanks for listening. This is the report card. Mm-hmm.